Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I've been gardening. I've been tending to the land. I just think that when you start tending to the land, there is a fervour which has a touch of the out damn spot to it. (laughs) Yep. And the out, out damned spot quality of this occasion was that my front garden was not enough. I needed to tend to the land before my land. So I clean not only my front garden, but also the pavement area that is my little bit of the world. So, So you consider the section of the footpath outside our house your responsibility. Yes, I do. Not the corporations. Exactly. And when I am cleaning the pavement with my outdoor broom, the looks I get from passersby are not to be believed. (laughs) People are so moved when they see a young woman tending to the land. (laughs) There is a civic pride to it. And these fuckers... (laughs) Love my civic pride. I am uniting people. Like clapping for the NHS during the pandemic. Exactly. But then remember when people got into their pans. So showy. (laughs) Do you know what's interesting? I only have understood right in this moment that my physicality is like, like I have a pioneer's movement. Don't you think I have have a pioneer quality to me? Yes, I could imagine you in the dust bowl at a sepia photograph. I got old timey movements when I'm tending to my land. I toil. It's different. I'm a toiler. I toil and then I have pride when I survey. (laughs) Okay, we should tell you about our guest. I was on the sofa. You were upstairs in your office of the baby king, a.k.a. our bed. You said, I just forwarded you an email that you're going to want to see. Which, by the way, is a terrible way to set someone up. Because all I can think is Hollywood has called. (laughs) Our big break is here. A Broadway producer is finally ready to have me star in the role of Miss Hannigan. So everything is going to be downhill from there. But what the email says is that we have the opportunity to speak to the executive producer of RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) Now, the idea that I'm going to speak to someone who's been intimately involved in it is so overwhelming to me. It's not getting to star in a West End or Broadway show, but it's about as good. So we are speaking this week to Fenton Bailey, executive producer of RuPaul's Drag Race. Now he has a book out. Tell everyone the name of the book, please. The book is called Screen Age, How TV Shaped Our Reality from Tammy Faye to RuPaul's Drag Race. So we get to speak to him because he's promoing this book. 
Yeah, I thought this was going to be a drag race cash-in. On my life, this book is fucking fantastic. It is about how outsider culture has become the mainstream. And Fenton has been a part of that. He founded a company called World of Wonder, who have made some fantastic stuff over the years. It was them who gave Adam and Joe their first break. They did most of John Ronson's documentaries. They were very quick to catch on to this idea of people being able to make their own television in the age of camcorders and then camera phones. And really, that is what this book is about, as well as telling the story of all these programmes. We both thought, oh, this will like get to be my interview because I'm just going to be so obsessive about uh, Drag Race. As it turned out, he was the centre of our Venn diagram. Our interests met in the middle of the man that is this week's guest, Fenton Bailey. Quick Watch and Doctor Who is back with Disney Money co-funding it. Russell T. Davis back as showrunner. David Tennant back as the Doctor ahead of Shuti Gatwa taking over at Christmas. And uh, accompanying David Tennant is his classic companion, Catherine Tate. I have been very excited about this. Our son has been very excited about this. Can you give me a word that would describe your feeling? Benevolently indifferent. Okay. I would say prior to our son being born, me watching Doctor Who, it wasn't quite a dirty secret in our marriage. But, for example, I'm more open about my consumption of erotica than I am about when I scuttle off to watch Doctor Who. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think of it as a very British thing. I think of it as like a thing that goes on behind closed doors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Doctor Who is a dirty little British secret (laughs) along with baked beans and Gary Barlow, okay? These three things, you can enjoy them over here, but fucking thinking that anyone else should enjoy any of them is embarrassing for you. I feel like it's something very much woven into the fabric of British life. But it's a real niche interest once you go outside the UK. It's very much like how the Germans have their thing. They, they all um, incorporate faecal matter into their lovemaking. Yeah. And that's great. That brings them a lot of pleasure. Sure. But, it, but it is a niche interest outside of Germany. And they all do they it. They all do it. And, and that's how we are with Doctor Who. Now, what I want to say about it is I enjoyed it immensely. And it felt very much like the best of the old Russell T. Davis era, but with a bit more money thrown at it. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that you also seemed to really enjoy it. Yes, I did. I loved how excited you both were. Like, that was sweet. I knew it was momentous and it was just wonderful. You got a little thirsty for David Tennant? Yes. Let me tell you something about this guy. He did nothing for me when he was first the doctor. My doctors are Christopher Eccleston. I mean, when I had it forced upon me and looked at photos, whatever. Eccleston and Peter Capaldi. Like, I'm not one for an oldie, but Jesus, the Scottish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've seen him twice. Just I really like him, you know, the versatility. And David Tennant's never been my guy because I never want the hot one. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) But he is getting so fucking tight now that he's old. Like, he looks so fit now that he's whatever it is, 20 years older. Do you think uh, Do you think David Tennant's been down boots and put himself some hair dye? Because he looks good. Yeah. But he's also two years older than I am and not a grey hair on that head. Then I guess he has, but then you got to be getting someone real fancy to do that hair because I've knowingly... I've never seen a man with hair that looks dyed that hasn't nauseated me. And I was not nauseated looking at that head of hair. It was not dirty fire, just chest hair, I'll tell you that much. It was 
much better, much more well done. It's a cheaper looking show. Oh, sorry, because it's a kid's show. But um, it was a much more expensive head of hair than the chest hair on um, Dodie. So does this mean I am now allowed to experiment with a box of Just for Men? No. All right, to wrap this up, here's what I think sums up what is brilliant about Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Within minutes, we, we went from an alien that looks like they put vampire teeth inside of a Furby. Uh-huh. Voiced by Miriam Margulies. Uh-huh. To you sobbing about a storyline to do with identity. Yeah. And being who you are. Yeah. I also, I didn't sob, but I was very moved earlier in the story with like the idea of you have your life, but sometimes your friend is missing. And Catherine Tate is so funny. God, she's so fucking funny. I would like to know if that's a wig. That is such a robust head of hair that she has. And Yasmin Finney, who plays her daughter, is unbelievable. I was going to say that she's a real star in the making, but then I saw that she has... uh, Two million Instagram followers, so she probably doesn't need the endorsement of old Gen X Jeff over here. No, she doesn't need that. Well, does this mean that you will come with me and Jean the next time we go to the Who Shop, which is a shop in East London selling exclusively Doctor Who merchandise and memorabilia? Uh, yes, I think I would. Because, because in the past, you've claimed that you would find the staff and clientele too upsetting. I feel like you're, you're again trying to make me a hate figure amongst Doctor Who fans. I can handle it. Is it? Does it have a dirty environment or no? Here's how I describe it. Non-minimalist. Oh. <laughs> oh, I now understand who our two sponsors should be. Doctor Who Shop, Belgravia Hair Clinic. <laughs> okay, my quick watch. Brand new cherry flavor on Netflix. Does that ring a bell for you? Yes, it was mentioned to us by Nash Edgerton, director of Mr. In-Between. Yes. So here's the plot. A young filmmaker arrives in Los Angeles and she has like written a film. And a big Hollywood director says he'll make it. And she says, but you have to promise me that I will get to direct it. And it turns out he's actually fucked her. And she basically doesn't own this film anymore. Also, plot twist, she meets a witch played by Catherine Keener and does a deal with the Catherine Keener witch to put a curse on this director. So it starts off and I'm like, Like, I get it. It's like very Lynch. LA, it's a diseased place. Like, it had a little bit of the, but what are they trying to say about it? And I was sat there being like, but Nash Edgerton is not a dum-dum. And then it just started to shift. And I was like, holy shit, this thing is fucking amazing. Wow. Once she does a deal with the devil witch, she starts vomiting up kittens. Even (laughs) if it's in a metaphor, I can handle it. Are they dry? Uh, No, they're like moist, wet, weird white kittens. And it got so fucking creepy, so spooky. Now, you just instinctively know that I would never watch this with you. Yeah, I'm not going to try. I have to say, I'm not freaked out by the idea of somebody vomiting up kittens. (gasps) There's a grosser thing that happens based on my limits. What is it? Okay, so Catherine Keener's witch lives in the most deranged like greenhouse. And you hear and a man is hunched over a chair and she is etching this fucking disgusting tattoo onto his whole back. Now, I am of the mind that there is no such thing as a good tattoo. If I ever have to look at a tattoo that's been recently applied and they have that fucking shit wrapped around their arm, I feel like I'm dying. (laughs) I have a friend who for her 40th birthday received a tattooing gun. And sometimes after a big night at a house party. I feel, I, I can't even, I do not, I genuinely don't know if I can listen to you finish this. She it, fucking does it to herself. No, she'll do it to other people at the party. She has no training. I'm disgusted. 
If I fucking died, I now believe in ghosts. If I die, I will come back as a ghost and not in a nice way. If you ever get my name tattooed anywhere on your body, that is so <laughs> disgusting. Ugh, my brother's disgusting tattoos. I think I saw one of his tattoos brush up against my son and I was disgusted. So given that you are a recent believer in ghosts, uh-huh. do you think that this show is going to be an entry point into the world of witchcraft for you? Okay, so simultaneously, I am trying to have fewer negative thoughts, but also getting interested in curses. <laughs> these, <laughs> these two things don't quite go together. Don't you need like a strand of someone's hair or one of the toenails to cast a curse? I have a jewelry box. And then when my son started losing his teeth, I'm like that lady who I'm working now to not try to save any pieces of his hair when he gets his hair cut. So I try to be like a little bit cool when I go in. Oh, what's down on the floor? <laughs> oh, I dropped something. Oh, I guess I got some of my son's hair, which I'll save forever. And I put them in with all of my jewels. And on the occasions that I look in that box, I'm like, witchy. Would you consider going for a consultation with a witch? I'm not completely closed off to a witch consultation, but I want it to feel a little bit like the spa. Fewer dream catchers. Exactly. No crystals. Would you feel more comfortable if her cauldron was Le Creuset? Yes, I would. <laughs> but I want her to feel authentic mm -hmm. and I don't want to pay too much. <laughs> oh, I love how the cheapness was. It's always there at because. The floor. <laughs> anyway. This show is fucking great. As ever, we'd like you in our inbox, please. We could try this inspired by Doctor Who. Is there anything that you watch on TV in your country that the rest of the world has no business knowing about? I kind of feel like you're asking for funny traditions from people's countries. <laughs> if you want to scrap this, you know what we can ask for again. Go on. Mads Mikkelsen moments. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it is coming in the inbox today. And I'm... I, I, it's most of what I've been thinking about all day. Okay, well, yes, please. Demand Mickelson moments and maybe that other thing won't fly. Um, I was also thinking about TV types. People you can tell would be a fan of a certain show on site. It's never a good... Th I mean, you can tell those, like, you know, Game of Thrones people. Unlikely crying? I was so surprised when you cried at Doctor Who. Have you ever been surprised by your own tears? Yes. Oh, I'll tell you what I was interested in. You you describing Catherine Keener in this very creepy show. Mm -hmm. And usually you think of her as very funny. Uh -huh. That is quite a rare thing to be able to turn on the scary. I'm really glad you said that because I think that was part of my problem with the first half of the show. So I was like, come on, it's Catherine Keener. But then then it really started to work for me. So any other examples of that, maybe? God, that would be Yeah, that's shocking, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Also, this show feels like it could um, stir up a few more What Put the Poison In. What Put the Poison In and also, you know what we didn't get anything back on and I was surprised and disappointed, is things that you cannot allow yourself to watch. I will never watch Requiem for a Dream. I will never watch Triangle of Sadness. What do you know is just fucking off limits for you? Am I going to make it through this deranged sex scene in episode four of Brand New Cherry Flavor? I don't know. Time will tell. And your recommendations, please. Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. Come round again, ye weary travelers. Patreon time. Let me try to convince you. Were you just yeah, channeling yes, the, the narrator and waiting for yes, government? Yes, I was. <laughs> Stool boom. Um, look. 
I have a lot of things I want right now. I have been using. <laughs> why, why don't you set up one of those Amazon wish lists? <laughs> oh my God. No, it's because I'm fancy. Well, the shit that I want isn't on Amazon. Listen, I, Fire Crotchy, have been using the Patreon this week because I was really struggling to find the right quick watch for me. So I was like, what have we been talking about? The usefulness of that watch list is amazing. I'm sorry. Straight back. I'm complimenting myself. It is so useful. I was like, right, who said what? What was it? Brand new cherry flavor. That's the, oh, right. That Nash Eckerton said, oh, okay. Please, three pounds a month. And it is just there so that you don't, the next time you're looking for something, you don't have to be like, what did the Guardian say with the 50 best? 50? No. Our Patreon, three pounds a month, all of these things listed. Please fucking join. Also, here's some of what I need right now, okay? Our finances are tight because you know about what happened to our mortgage, okay? Right now, my acne is flaring up because I can't see my skin, lady. I also need to have my Botox refreshed. And also, a friend of mine got a nose job two years ago, and I found out that she had a payment plan for her nose job. Do you understand? I didn't know a payment plan was even an option, and I now understand that I can get my eyes done on a payment plan, and this is transformative for me. Can't you spend the money on therapy and understand that your face is... No, this is what was fucking key about this nose job conversation. She and I were talking about it, and I was like, I just feel that if I got my eyes done, it would change... She's like, this is that was for me, my nose job. And she's like, I've never thought again about any more plastic surgery. I've never this. I needed to fix my fucking nose. And it has brought me an indescribable amount of joy. And I was like... That's how it'd be with me in my eyes. It wouldn't then be like, no, I really do need my tummy tuck. I really need to do, I really do need to get rid of my bingo wings. It is just my fucking eyes. I so can sad. do, I am now going to see if I can get an appointment with this doctor and I'm going to see if he does payment plan. If you join the Patreon, I can do my eyes on payment plan. I know this feels sad. <laughs> I know it feels like you've gone from a very high end podcast about television and marriage to like watching a disgusting show on the E channel. I understand that it feels that way. Is there not a reality TV show you could go on where they perform plastic surgery no, on minor show. celebrities? I'm not doing that. I'm not a minor celebrity and I'm not going on a TV show to get no, plastic surgery. Look, I, I don't think you get on anything like um, Strictly Come Dancing or I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Don't speak about me that way. I'm projecting a winner's energy. <laughs> but you are soon to be on Celebrity Mastermind. And I think the bar would be quite low of people who would agree to go under the knife on television. I am not. You might get a fee as well. I am you not. You might get free procedure and a fee. What if it was minor celebrities performing plastic surgery on each other under the tutelage of an eminent doctor? No. <laughs> Join the Patreon. Get the watch list. I'll voice note you every Friday. Help me get my under eyes done. But actually not that. Enjoy the watch list. Patreon.com stroke they like to watch. And coming up, you are going to fall in love with our guest. He is so brilliant. Executive producer of RuPaul's Drag Race. An incredible CV. And the book he has written about his life in television. It's such an intelligent book. It really is. It's a great read. It is called Screen Age, How TV Shaped Our Reality from Tammy Faye to RuPaul's Drag Race. Our guest later is Fenton Bailey. <laughs> Fargo is back. So we really love that first one with Martin Freeman and Billy Bob Thornton. Yes. Then in fairly quick succession after that came the one with Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons. Yes. Then it feels like there was a bit of a gap between that and the one with you and McGregor playing twins. Do you want to pivot this podcast and just make it you talking through the different seasons of Fargo? <laughs> this is not I'm just, hot I'm just, I'm just trying to un un unpack it because we really love those first two seasons. 
enjoyed the third. And then the fourth one with Chris Rock, we never watched. And it must have been something about a lack of momentum. But now I'm wondering if that was something that we missed out on. Is it the same person like directing and writing and everything. Yes, it's, it's, it's a guy called Noah Hawley who has yes. very much picked up the Coen Brothers baton, but made this TV show really its own thing as well as being very much in that world of Fargo the film. So the new one stars John Hamm, who do you not think John Hamm is one of these people that post Mad Men he's bounced around a lot. He's he's done a lot of brilliant cameos. But he hasn't found his thing. Are you asking for him to Julia Louis-Dreyfus it? Like, you want to see him in a second huge, amazing thing? Yes. You want a veep for his Mad Men? Yes. Well, that's a huge... You can't ask for that. But I just think that he has such great comic He's chops... unbelievable. ...that weren't on display in Mad Men. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable how funny he is. He's really funny in this. He's fucking disgusting in it. <laughs> He appears, he appears in this one scene, he's playing like a disgusting county sheriff, and it's amazing. And there's a scene where he appears in a hot tub. Not a good one. Is there such a thing as a good hot tub? I don't don't know. Um, Didn't feel like the type of hot tub swingers would have to get an orgy going. There are three kinds of hot tubs and only one is good, and I'll let you guess which (laughs) the good one is. Here are the three kinds of hot tubs. Number one, orgy. Like, 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 cum has been in this hot tub. That's category one. (laughs) Category two... Um, homemade. You made your own hot tub. That's also disgusting. And that's the kind that John Hamm is in. And number three, you're in Scandinavia. Or this has been inspired by the Scandi. Maybe it's a mountain retreat. Exactly. And that's an acceptable hot tub. So his is homemade. And I stopped for a second. I was like, hold on, rewind. Does he have nipple rings? And he has these... (laughs) He has these really subtle... Two nipple rings in both nips, and they are disgusting. You cannot have nipple rings f- to me and not be disgusting. Like, and I, you know, I in my younger days dabbled, dabbled and dallied around with some gentlemen who had the occasional tattoo. And I, it's not my thing, but I can work with it. Nipple rings, I'd run the other way. If a gentleman ever took his shirt off and there were nipple rings, I'd be like, I don't think this can be consensual anymore. And the other lead is Juno Temple, who was in Ted Lasso, which we haven't watched because I'm not really into soccer, um, but I know people like it. Um, And she's amazing. Yes. And I remember thinking this about Martin Freeman in the first series. It's a very specific dialect. And these British actors are pulling it off flawlessly. Well, I don't really know. You know, do I don't think either of us know if they're pulling it off flawlessly. You'd have to speak to a Minnesotan. Oh, yeah, because we don't know what that accent really sounds like. Yeah. But it is close to Illinois. It's it's next door but one to Illinois. Yeah, but it's doing a whole other thing, Minnesota. Tell us about Minnesota. What, what is, I, don't, I don't know too much. What's the association? Much. First thing that comes into your head. My mother's best friend, Wendy. State capital. Uh, St. Paul. Sarah's very good on state capitals. Yeah. Do you want to summarise what the story is this series? Okay, so we meet... Juno Temple and her husband, they're like a nice Minnesota couple. It turns out that her husband's mom, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, interestingly. Jason's a nice middle name for a girl. I, I can't get into the mind of somebody who's looking at a baby and thinking, I'm going to call her Jennifer. Jennifer, have, Jennifer Jason. You have to think about when that baby was born. So these are these women having babies in the 70s. And I think it was some kind of feminist uh, thing to maybe give a boy's name to a girl's middle name. I'm not quite sure, but that's how I've always interpreted that. Your middle name is beautiful. Handelman. 
But that was a feminist choice that no, my mother no, was no, making. No, no. Anyways, Jennifer Jason Lee plays the mother, and she's this incredibly wealthy lady. So the, those are the parts that are laid out. We know there's like a really wealthy kind of overbearing mother and this this couple, you know, Temple and the guy who plays her husband, but I don't know his name. When I say something like that, that one review that we got that was talking about how great our podcast is, but said it lacked critical depth. I hear it when I hear myself <laughs> be like, there's a guy, I don't remember his name. I'm not going to look it up right now. <laughs> um, so Juno Temple gets kidnapped one morning and we don't know why. But she does a much better job of defending herself than we would expect her to for a a Minnesota housewife. And then the story unfolds. So why has she been kidnapped? Why does she have almost like a military level of uh, self-defense skills? How does John Hamm fit into the picture? How do these pieces come together? The rich mother-in-law instantly assumes it's going to be a ransom situation. Mm -hmm. How do you think the conversation would play out if I'd been kidnapped and you needed to ask your parents for money? They would. They'd be like, "What can we do?" And I'd be like, "I need some money because I, I, Jeff is being held hostage." And then they would. My mother would go. Would she have to check with her accountant first? Yeah, she'd be like, "We have to figure out if we can afford it." (laughs) But I think you know. So then she'd figure out that she can afford it. Then she'd say it was a pleasure to be able to do it. She'd say something like, this is why we save. And then (laughs) then she would reference her values. And she would say, like, our values are not – our values aren't fancy weddings. Our our values are health and education. And this is for Jeff's health and well-being. Okay. Do you think your dad would take the briefcase full of money to the car park? Can you imagine my father's anxiety level if he had to go deliver like a a ransom to someone? With his parka coat all zipped up. My father, if he arrived, I mean, this is very like dad humor shit, you know, but if my dad arrives to an international flight three hours and 10 minutes before it's set to depart, he has the energy of someone who, um, you know, that film, The Hurt Locker? Never seen it. Oh, I don't remember much about it, but like bomb diffusing is a big part of it, I believe. My father brings a bomb diffusing energy to any interaction with an airport. <laughs> and I'm really trying to be careful about spoilers, but the, the kidnapping is certainly initially averted. And then this wife becomes hypervigilant about home security. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like Home Alone style shit, but for a grown lady. Who do you think is more vigilant? This lady who is putting broken glass and sledgehammers on rope around her house or me telling you to set the burglar alarm of an evening i think the answer is us when as our burglar prevention we put our laptops behind pillows on our sofa (laughs) guys this is a great way to foil burglars if you're popping out the house and you don't want the fuss of putting your laptop away somewhere safe under a cushion on the sofa. Bur- burglars, burglars wouldn't think of that. If you're walking, if someone's walking past your house and they're peeking in the window, if they just see sofa cushions, they're not going to know there's a little laptop. No, stuck they're not going to the think. Pillow. I wonder if there's a laptop behind there. They don't think like that. If you ever want to burgle us, my jewels are in a small box <laughs> with my son's teeth. <laughs> I have one jewel, <laughs> and my laptop is behind a sofa cushion. Come and burgle away. Well, we're only two episodes in, so it's early doors, but I just feel this is fine television. Yeah, and I, I'm i going to say something very, very, very lightly critical about another show as a way of complimenting this one. So 
I watched all of Boat Story. It it is so excellent. And I just want to tell everyone, like, watch it, watch it, watch it. It's really good. What it had a tiny, and I do mean tiny whiff of, was what I'm now starting to think of as the Bad Sisters issue. So Bad Sisters was so, so, so good. And I loved it. And it was great. It started off with such a fucking bang. It ended with such a bang. But there was a midsection sag. I don't make television, but I imagine avoiding that is a really, really hard thing. And I I don't judge a show because it has that. And I think that everyone should watch Bad Sisters and everyone should watch Boat Story. There is something about this, these first two episodes, that's making me go Fargo is not going to fucking sag. I just don't think so. I think it's it's at this other different level and I am I am bringing such excitement. Let's know what you think. Firstly, should we go back to that season of Fargo with Chris Rock? Uh-huh. Secondly, Sarah outlined the three types of hot tub. Do you disagree? Are there more? God, I'm a genius. <laughs> I didn't know I had that level of understanding in my body. What a surprise. I would say Juno Temple's Minnesota accent is really good without knowing what one sounds like. Yes. Yeah, so, so can, so you, can, vouch you, can you vouch for her? Um, also, are there any examples of the opposite of that in TV shows where an otherwise excellent series is slightly marred by a less than perfect accent? What do, what do we think about what Jennifer Jason Lee is doing? I don't know why I don't want to say something bad about Jennifer Jason Lee, but like there were moments where I was like, this is fantastic, big, bizarre, wonderful acting. And then in the next beat, I'd be like, this is at a level that I would expect to see in like um, a primary school production. <laughs> and it would go back and forth. And that's what was so weird. Yes, I don't, don't want to be unnecessarily critical of Jennifer no, Jason. No, me neither. But um, it reminded me a little bit of Maria Bamford doing a voice. Yes. <laughs> I went from respecting it to being like, how did it how did it make it onto TV? Also, there's uh, there's another bad guy in it. And you said to me when we were watching it, you knew he was a bad guy because he was a litter bug and he was also vaping. Yeah. And I thought we could ask people, what is the modern visual shorthand for letting us, the viewer, know that somebody is a bad guy? Yeah, it's interesting because I know, so, you know, I really dislike vaping, but so many people do it. But on TV, it's the sign of a bad, I don't mean a bad boy, like a bad boy. I mean, like, bad little boy, you're going to go kill somebody. <laughs> like a villain. Yeah. It's weird why it hasn't modernized yet. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm just generalizing. Our email address is? Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Coming up next, you're going to love him. His book is Screen Age, How TV Shaped Our Reality from Tammy Faye to RuPaul's Drag Race. Boy, oh boy, did we think he was a darling boy. Fenton Bailey. I texted a mutual friend to ask about you, and I thought it might be fun if I was to read out his reply and okay. then you see if you can guess who it is by, by what he said. Ready for this? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. His influence on culture has really been enormous. DIY TV, giving shows to people with camcorders, bringing queer culture into the mainstream, etc. Well, I recognize the voice. <laughs> it's John Ronson, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good imitation of John Ronson. That's so sweet of him, too. You don't usually get to hear what your friends think about you. Um, it's usually <laughs> stuff that's said at a funeral, isn't it? Well, right. Nice yeah. to find another occasion. Before you really get into the book and the, the, the story of the television you've made and where that sits in the culture, you really do such a great job of describing that a world of early 80s New York. I think that particular 
period was almost a changing of the guard from the, you know, from that sort of burned out, you know, Maplethorpe, Patti Smith era, punk era, into then this Reagan 80s era. That was a really big mood shift, I think. And it wasn't so much that it was cool or hip, but it was people were like doing stuff and wanted mm-hmm. to do stuff and, and make stuff. Of course, at the time, it was also pretty shitty. You know, like the thing about shabby chic, you know, it was yeah. really shabby. Yeah, 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 was- yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, where in New York did you live? First lived in a loft on Crosby Street. And now there's like a Ferndale Hotel right opposite. You know, sure. it's just unimaginable yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that would ever happen. And, um, you know, you'd put your muffin in the toaster in the morning and a rat would pop out. And then Randy and I moved in together to a, um, a sixth floor walk up on 9th Street between B and C. Right. And you, this is the thing is you're talking about these rats. You're talking mm-hmm. about a rat coming out of a, of a toaster. But I'm still sat here being like, yes, but 9th between B and C. I mean, <laughs> I think it's worth it. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I think the glamour is all in retrospect, to be honest. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let's start talking about the TV you've made. And you, you were over here on non-television related business and you go into Channel 4 and you managed to sell them on the idea of bringing public access television as you had it over there in the States with sort of oddballs and people on the fringes of society just getting access to the airwaves. Here's something, I guess, for reasons of brevity you left out. How were you getting those meetings in the first place? How were you getting over the door of a broadcaster like Channel 4? It's the perfect question because it just goes to show how random things happen. So I was working at Drexel Burnham Lambert on Wall Street in the 80s, not as a banker. I was in the film and video department. They'd make promo tapes about the companies that they were doing leverage buyouts or financing with junk bonds. And then this insider trading scandal started with Ivan Bosky, the man who said greed is good. So I went to an old friend of mine. I said, I think there's a real big story here. And she had a production company and got a documentary commissioned about Michael Milken, which I researched and edited. And this is how random. Because the commissioning editor went out on maternity leave, someone was standing in for her and We just hit it off. And when the project was done, he said, oh, you know, have you got any ideas? Because I want to do late night TV on Channel 4. And I was like, yeah, we do have an idea, actually. He said, "Okay, I'll give you money to do a pilot. So, yeah, anyone from John Ronson to Adam and Joe can credit the launch of their TV careers down to someone being on maternity leave then. Yes, that is so true. But these are these are always the stories, you know. When when I hear about things being commissioned because the algorithms or the market research suggests that the audience are hungry from this kind of thing, anytime you ever hear of a success story, that's never the reason it happened. It's always some some happenstance like what you've just described. It absolutely is, and and that's the same actually with Drag Race in the UK. I pitched it many times to all the networks over and over and over. And I was going in to see a commissioning editor and she just didn't want to see me again because she knew exactly what I was going to talk about. So she fought me up to someone else who walked in and it just so happened that two days before BBC Three had decided to do entertainment. I mean, what are the odds? Yeah. In your book, you talk about meeting RuPaul in Atlanta for the first time mm-hmm. and sort of understanding that he was a star and that part of that understanding was that you then weren't a star. Can you talk about that realization a little bit more? 
Yeah, I mean, it was in many ways a relief because it was like suddenly here's someone who passionately knows how to do this. He is a, a genius of television. He's a great musician. He's a great singer. He's a great drag queen. But I think he's primarily an artist of television. And just realizing that uh, rather than sort of try to force it with ourselves and sort of just be completely continually consumed by insecurities that you just aren't good enough, you know, it just felt, it was just so good. Like here's someone who, you know, is born to do it. Everyone he came into contact with recognized he was a star. And and his story really is the story you tell in your book, in, in that people on the fringes of society eventually become the mainstream, both in a good way, in the case of queer culture, but in, in a disturbing way too, in the um, case of conspiracy theorists. And you know, your, yours is, is an odd career because you know, something like Drag Race is this entertainment phenomenon, but also you've, you've spent a lot of time making documentaries about people, I guess, with disturbing views. And I was wondering, un- until you wrote the book, were you able to tie your whole career together in a, in a thesis like this? Did you understand that's what you were doing no it was it, writing the book was a kind of a cathartic or therapeutic thing of, of literally figuring it out um but it's so funny that you mentioned that the, the sort of the good side and the potentially bad side in the sense that with john ronson when we made crazy rulers of the world and then secret rulers of the world we were looking at this sort of uh, illuminati new world order you know these sorts of exotic crazy beliefs and I don't think he or I ever imagined that they would become mainstream or that they would be, you know, the, the stuff that got a president elected. With some of the documentaries that you've made, how do you go about persuading people to have a documentary made about them? Well, a great thing in terms of a subject is if they're dead, then you don't have to do all that. You know, you can like Maplethorpe, that was great. Tammy Faye um, had no reason to trust us. On the one hand, she was at a vulnerable point. She was alone. Her second husband was in jail. And I think the other thing was that she just loves cameras. Do do you think there is like an emotionally healthy way to love a camera? Um, I actually don't see the relationship as inherently problematic. Uh, In fact, I'm somewhat in awe of like people who have OnlyFans accounts. I could never do that. And that sounds judgy. It's not judgy. I don't have the body either, by the way. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> we're sure that you do. But but yeah, I think I'm much more not, you know, not like when we're talking about a star, but with like the OnlyFans thing, like that kind of real comfort with a camera around you. I'm very judgmental about it, but I think if I dig a little deeper, it's because I'm like a bit jealous. Maybe about oh, it. And also I think we probably are from generationally somewhat from a pre-camera era. But I think Kids today are just used to being... I'm 24, Fenton. I just want to be... <laughs> so I don't know quite what you're referencing, but um, well, yes, you know. fair point, fair point. Digital yeah. natives and all that. On the OnlyFans thing, I mean, one of the big arguments you make in the book is the relationship between porn and reality TV. And, and you quite rightly say that the biggest reality franchise of all time, the Kardashians, it starts with a sex tape. And I was wondering about what currently goes on in porn, be it OnlyFans or, or whatever tells us about where it goes next. Because I find it astonishing that Pornhub, for example, publishes data every year to tell us exactly what people are watching and where they're watching it. And it's almost like, you know, instead of having the top 10 singles of the year, you have the top 10 <laughs> fetishes of the year. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, too, that 
the red states, the, the states that are the most repressive, um, are the ones that seem to be consuming the most and seem to be interested in the most, um, the, the gayest stuff on earth, you know. So <laughs> I think that's kind of an interesting observation. Do you have a sense of where it goes next? Oh, no, where does it go? Um, well, I, I do, but not necessarily in a in a porn sense. But I, I think it's um, almost this kind of idea of super engagement, Uh you know, no one went to the movies during COVID and the movies have been on this sort of downward thing for many years. And out of COVID comes Barbie. And people just don't go to the movie. They're all dressed up. It's in drag. I mean, I to me, Barbie is a drag movie. And I, I don't know what that means for porn, but, um, but just this idea that people don't want to just watch something. They want to be a part of something. Wow, I have to say, I mean, again, I don't know what the implications for that are in porn. Um, it's it's a whole other version of secret cinema, isn't it? But <laughs> there's something quite optimistic about that vision of a future there. Well, I sort of am optimistic because almost every book about television is very pessimistic. And even now that we have premium drama, you know, that's still really just a snobbery of cinema transposed into TV. One, one thing I find interesting is that a lot of the documentaries you've made over the years, th- there is no way you you get them over the line at a lot of channels anymore. Yeah. But then if you go on TikTok or YouTube, I, I do find that it just goes so much deeper than the stuff they will allow on television these days. And that's a good thing. It is, right? I mean, there's so many different things bundled up in that. You know, legitimate concerns about truth-telling. But at the same time, this is a device where everybody can be heard. Several kids in the office are very TikTok and always send me videos, which I love, because mm-hmm. I just can never seem to find my way around it. I'll tell you what it's... Jeff, Jeff is like the one man over 50 who has <laughs> cracked it. It's like having a teen... Every time I come to the bed, it's just like he's on TikTok again. But you, you've made it work for you. It's because it's better than any other platform of use. It gets to know you. And it's actually... inspired me about the future of all platforms because in a gatekeeper mentality you think oh we've got to dumb it down for people and i'm seeing these people who aren't dumbing it down getting more views than any terrestrial tv show and it's really inspiring in that way but does it also turn you on to things that you might not have been interested in because that's what i find on instagram stories is the algorithm knows me. And so I'm just always seeing car crashes and earthquakes and buildings falling down. I mean, it thinks that I'm a disaster freak. <laughs> oh, the other thing it shows me, which I have no idea why, shipping containers and freight sort of on the high seas. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but I watch it. And I guess every time I watch it, I'm telling the algorithm, give me more. I'm drawing a line under this. I have been promised uh, I get a five-minute drag race fangirl. I have to. I just, a few questions for you. Can you talk to me a little bit about guest judge selection? How is it just people, like everyone wants to be on the show so you can kind of get anyone? Like, who's got the power, the show or the guest judges? (laughs) Well, some people do say they want to do it. And um, some people we've been pursuing for years. We just try to get who we can get. Try to get who you can get. Was there a shift where it just became easy, where it had the reputation? You know, nothing ever really changes, is the truth. It's the same. You know, I, I still think Lady Gaga must get out of bed feeling inadequate. You know, <laughs> like... 
Yeah, but I mean, but once there's a queue outside the club, the queue only ever gets bigger. But then it's never long enough, is it? You know, I mean, <laughs> so interesting because there's so, there's so many you know impressive guest judges who come on that show who, in a way that feels so authentic, are like. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm here. Look, when someone comes on Drag Race, we just want them to have the best time. Oh. And, you know, it's not a light commitment. It's not like they can pop in for an hour. You know, they're there yeah. for a whole day and sometimes two. And it's a long day. And um, also the studio is very cold. Very cold. Oh, you my know, God. Can you of- imagine what somebody with a proper job listening to this is thinking? <laughs> what, they have to be there for two days and they will wear a cardigan? <laughs> <laughs> Now you put it like that. <laughs> when I started watching Drag Race, I couldn't believe, I think it's like the most intricately, brilliantly structured bit of reality TV I have ever watched from in, in every possible way. And I was just wondering who is responsible for that? Like, is that a collaboration between you as the producers and RuPaul? I want to know who to thank for it. It is nothing to do with me in the sense okay. that the, the show... Randy, my partner at World of Wonder, Tom Campbell, who's a creative director, and Rue and the showrunners. It is the most incredible collaboration. Um, I mean, the one thing I say about the, the show from a format point of view is that we approach it as if the format is a drag queen. And so it's, we'll take this, we'll take this, we'll take this, and create a fabulous outfit, you know? And, and also in the same way that a drag queen's never really going to wear the same thing twice or, you know... Mash it up, modify it, give it a twist, you know, a wig on a wig. I know that Jeff seems like the more intellectual one, but just so you know, like I'm the only one who's really into drag race. So I should be the <laughs> I should be the favorite at the end of the interview. I'm just putting that out there. Well, you're both my favorites. Yeah, okay, thank you, Vinton. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's uh, that's kept the uh, the fragile peace between Have the two. Have you watched uh, Drag Race Canada, Sarah? No, I mean, you're not objective, but do you recommend? I, I, I seriously do recommend okay. very much okay. so. I, I recommend that you get Wow Presents Plus, and then you can see every single version. And but, what I think you'll find interesting is how different they are. Well, but you have to give me an entry point because it's too overwhelming. So what's my next country? Maybe maybe Canada would feel too samey for me if, if I'm in UK and US all the time. Well, okay, I would... Try Drag Race Francaise. D'accord, d'accord, c'est bien pour moi, because I'm like, uh, you know, anything, uh, I just love, c'est tout, c'est tout. Uh. Okay, so that could be my next one. Okay, fine, c'est I accept. C'est extraordinaire. And I'm not even overstanding it. It is incredible. Incroyable. Incroyable, this is. Wow. God, this wow is great. Presents Plus. Wow Presents. You're going to get those John Ronson documentaries on there for me as well. We do have to. You know, there's a little bit of a clearance issue with some of the archive clips. I, I wish John was doing more TV that we could do together because he's so amazing. I know he, really often, tell, he often tells me. <laughs> um, oh, no, no. That's the funniest thing about John. He would send me the cut and I'd watch it. He'd say, isn't it the best thing you've ever seen? <laughs> Aren't I just incredible? In it? And I'm like, John, yeah, you're great. It's amazing. He's like, no, really. Isn't it really the best thing? Um, we have to let, we. he is on a sketch. The man Be- is before on a sketch. Before you go, uh, we, we always have to TV recommendations. Right. Aside from car crashes on Instagram Reels, wh- what are you watching? What's good? It, it's not a TV show. Um, movie, Saltburn, comes out right around now. Um, oh, my God. God, if you thought that the sort of bride's head, sort of talented Mr. Ripley trope had been exhausted, oh, this movie 
has scenes in it that you will remember for the rest of your life. Oh, wow. It's just delicious. What a great conversation, Liz. What a charmer. How close were you to asking if you could go to a record of RuPaul's Drag Race? I guess like I would kind of like free tickets, but I don't even care about that. What I would really like is to be able like oftentimes they'll bring in super fans and the drag queens will will drag up a super fan. And I think I would like to be um, put in drag, I guess. I, I put on a corset once and I looked unbelievable. This is surprising to me because I think of any width that you have is entirely down to your large rib cage, not anything that could be pinched in. Well, also, it's my shoulders. I, I'm quite broad of chest, which is very sexy for the men's. <laughs> I'm broad of chest and rib cage. Did you play American football in high school? No, but I could have done. <laughs> I was never, you know, I'm I'm sort of, I'm like lightly, I think sporty isn't even, right? Yeah, you're not, you're not sporty. You are, you are ginger posh and scary. Email time. Now, you've picked out three diamonds from our inbox. Mm-hmm. I know that two of them you're really looking forward to. So why don't I take this first one and then it's over to you? Great. Okay. This comes from, I think you pronounce it Heiss. And I say that because I just watched a pronunciation video on YouTube. It is a Dutch name, I believe, based on the context of the email. Dear FCNNC, am I attracted to a television show because of the setting? I recently watched the first episode of A Small Light, which tells the story of Meep Geez. I think it's Meep Geez. I just watched a pronunciation video with that Dutch guy who was like, today we are going to learn how to say. Um, uh, Who helped the Frank family hide from the Nazis during World War II. I was eager to see it because of the location. The series is set in Amsterdam, where I happen to live. But the episode quickly became very confusing and distracting. I don't know where they shot it, but it wasn't Amsterdam. It looked like Amsterdam, but it just wasn't. Uncanny Valley. I didn't watch any more episodes. Sometimes they'll do that because a city can be very expensive to film in, not just because of accommodation, but because of permits. And then other cities will give you tax breaks. Is that like Vancouver gives tax yeah, breaks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's that's one of them. There's some film where Manchester doubles up as New York. It is something that Doctor Who can be guilty of quite a lot, where it's obviously in Cardiff, and then there'll be a cutaway shot of Big Ben or something. Sure. Yeah. Come on. Um, what I realise is, continues Heiss, I'm really not sure of myself with that pronunciation. But I, I think your effort will be respected. So much as I'm attracted to settings that feel particular and authentic. Series like Happy Valley, The Wire, Better Call Saul, My Brilliant Friend, Detectorists, Reservation Dogs, they all have a smart, detailed and authentic use of location. And that is what's attractive, a portrayal that moves beyond cliches. It's, yes. another, it's another thing that Succession got right. Yes. And I, I really I thought, oh, yes, that's what it is. It's not so much. Here's the place I always like to be. It's when it's somehow like, you know, that they shot it where they're supposed to be shooting it. Heiss finishes by saying, in case you want to use my email for your show, feel free to pronounce or change my very Dutch name any way you want. I know that you, FC, are a very capable renamer. I am. What if we just called him a dumb cunt? (laughs) A stupid bitch. Okay. It's time for 
Mads Mickelson moment. I thought you could sing Mads Mickelson moment to the tune of This Is My Moment. Mads Mickelson moment. Do you see how I don't need to be told twice on that <laughs> stuff ever? I'm telling you right now, if you write into me with a Mads Mickelson moment, I will include the email. It jumps to the front of the queue if you have a Mads Mickelson moment, unless it's like a terrible story. But I just think by virtue of being a Mads Mickelson moment, it can't be a bad story. Okay, this first one is from Hannah. Hannah writes, Dear FC and NC, I kind of have a Mads Mickelson moment to report. Delighted. My husband is a VFX supervisor and once spent two weeks in Copenhagen with Mads Mikkelsen. They were shooting a beer commercial, and usually a shoot like this would never take two weeks, but as the Danish understand the concept of work-life balance, everyone (laughs) on the shoot could only work from nine to five and had the weekend off. There is power in a union. Power in a union. (laughs) And then she includes in brackets, I was on my own with two young kids and was not clocking off at any point, but what Ever. Anyway, as I'm sure you can imagine, my husband came home saying that Mads is one of the nicest people he has ever worked with. On a separate note, my sister-in-law worked as a makeup artist on The Crown for a few days, but she was shooting the funeral and therefore not responsible for any chest hair. However, when I see her next, I'll see if she can shed any light on the situation. Love, Hannah, who signs it, an introvert who does not tell everyone she's an introvert, so so can I please be allowed to outlive the next pandemic? Yes, introverts are not the problem. It's introverts who really love for all their introversion can't stop fucking talking about being an introvert. So you are allowed to survive. The next Mads Mickelson moment comes from longtime listener, but we've ne- I've never known for sure if it's Roy or R- it has to be Roy. It can't be Roy. Why don't you look up a video of that Dutch guy pronouncing it? No. Roy, it is Roy, right? You'll tell us. I have a Mads Mikkelsen moment. You might not believe it. Oh, so he says about the Mads Mikkelsen moment. You might not believe this, but it's 100% true. It's so believable. I don't know why you doubted yourself. Okay. I used to do PR for films and TV, and I met Mads in a promo shoot for a new film he was doing at the time. And I can tell you, he's exactly as incredible as you'd imagine him to be. He smelled incredible. (gasps) Like a wonderful mix of manliness and pine. (laughs) I completely know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. I basically had to help him get dressed at one point because he had had some treatments done on his hands. So I found myself having to help him pull up his trousers. So Roy sends this to me. I'm like, what the fuck? This is the greatest thing ever. I was like, so you were near, like you were near the unit. And he was like, oh, yeah. I was like, he's, he wrote in his response. He was like, I was two inches from the unit. And he's still serving manliness in pine. Oh, age appropriate wife with the wife forever. He is it. Mads Mickelson moment. Give me more. Please give me another Mads Mikkelsen moment. Maybe you think the moment is too small, but as far as Mads Mikkelsen moments go, no moment is too small. Yeah, maybe you live in Copenhagen and you just saw him one day. That's fine. That'd be more than enough for us. Does he have a tote or does he use carrier bags? He has a tote. He has a tote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely isn't using a plastic bag. Men who smell of manliness and pine do not use plastic (laughs) carrier bags. I should say we've had a couple of recommendations, one from Danny and one from Jamie. Yes. So Danny thinks we should watch a show called Station Eleven, which is based on a book. I think the writer's name is Emily 
Saint Mandel, something like that. I it's a it's essentially about a pandemic wiping everyone out. I read it in November of 2019. Oh, it's a fantastic book. It got made into a TV show that a couple of people have written. I think Danny is like maybe the fourth person who's recommended it to us. So now I'm saying people are talking about Station Eleven. Jamie Maisner thinks we should watch Such Brave Girls, which is the new hot thing on BBC Three. Is it? I, I knew I was going to say I player, but I didn't know which actual station it was on. Um, written by Kat Sadler, who I think I was going to say used to do stand up. She might still do stand up, but she she started to make her name more as a writer, and so she wrote the show that now everyone is like five stars, five stars, so amazing, so great, and um, it's starring her and her sister. This is all I know so far, and we want to hear from you, please. Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. This week, Fenton Bailey liked to watch Saltburn, which is at the cinema at the moment, which I'm hearing very good things As about. As am I. Uh, also a bunch of TikTok and Instagram reels, including videos of shipping containers. Also, um, Drag Race Francaise, to see if Nikki Dull is the star that I did not see her to be when she was on regular Drag Race. And unless something very weird happens this week, I'll tell you right now, I don't need any kind of excuse for Drag Race Francaise to be my quick watch next week. Uh, Sarah watched brand new Cherry Flavor on Netflix. I watched, although we all watched as a family, Doctor Who, which is on BBC iPlayer and Disney Plus if you're outside of the UK. And we watched Fargo Season 5, which is available on Amazon Prime. Well, it's happening on Friday. It's happening. 1st of December. It is the day it becomes acceptable for Christmas decorations. I think more like the 10th. No, no, no. I'm I'm not saying that I participate on the 1st because I'm not someone who blows my load like the rest of you (laughs) fucking sluts. But I'm saying it's acceptable. You may go on the 30th to buy your advent calendar. I'm Jewish and I'm American. So I don't do advent calendars. You're also snobby about milk chocolate. I'm not going to fucking eat it because I'm not poor. But <laughs> but if you like milk chocolate and you're fucking poor, enjoy yourself. No, only, only dark chocolate for me, 70% or above. But what I think you have wrong is the idea that milk chocolate is in any way trashy. Because if you went to restaurant Alain Ducasse, for example... He's giving you some milk chocolate with your coffee. Do you know what I realized, I think, I didn't know until this very moment, is that I think if the, if the song of your heart is a chocolate dessert, you're trashier than people <laughs> who like a fruit dessert. Oh, I, I largely disagree, and I will have a chocolate dessert from time to time. However, we went to a really nice restaurant for some special occasion. I think it was our wedding anniversary, the River Cafe in London. Oh, that was nice. And there was a dessert on the menu called Chocolate Nemesis. I thought, where am I in a TGI Fridays? You don't deserve our patronage if you call us. That's like, oh, can I have that with a porn star martini? (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Anyway, enjoy your advent calendar buying. Enjoy Christmas becoming permissible. And we will see you next week. Stay cozy, cuties. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
presents the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.